Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Jessica Salgado is a Los Angeles-based Salvadoran poet who writes about her family, her culture, her city, and her brown body. She has shared her work in venues and campuses throughout the country. In the last four years, she self-published three collections of poetry titled The Luna Poems, Woes, and Sentimental Boss Bitch. She is a member of the 2014, 2016, and 2017 De Poetry Lounge Slam team. Her work has been featured in Latina Magazine, Univision, Vibe Magazine, Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, TEDx, and many other digital platforms. Jessica is the co-founder of the Latina feminist collective Chingona Fire and an internationally recognized body positivity activist. Aziza Barnes is the winner of the 2015 Pamet River Prize. Their first full-length collection, I Be But I Ain't, is from Yes Yes Books in 2016. Their first chapbook, Me, Aunt Jemima, and the Nail Gun, was the inaugural winner of the Exploding Pinecone Prize from Button Poetry. They are a Cave Conum Fellow and co-host of the podcast, The Poetry Gods. Please put your hands together and give a warm skylight welcome to Aziza Barnes and Jessica Salgado. you're sitting like far in the back because it's only like a handful of us and it's weird it's so weird. you're more than welcome to move forward come closer if you would we don't have cooties i might have cooties so congratulations thank you you have a whole ass novel i have a whole ass novel man how do you feel oh i feel i don't know it's kind of like i'm winded like i'm like what and then it's like it's in the world you know and it's just me talking about shit you know and yeah. it, and it's it feels different than poetry for some reason like right. there was something with like the first two books because they were poems that felt more like I had control mm-hmm. and maybe that's just because that's how I started but for whatever reason like it being prose it being a novel feels a little more like it it's doing its thing yeah, well, um, yeah, with poems, you could just be like, and scene. And yeah. then here comes the next thing. And yeah, and because I said yeah. so. And like, you know. So we'll give you a couple of poems from me before yes. we start. And then we'll give you the whole spotlight. Thanks, man. If you weren't expecting to hear poems from me, oh well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. Get and, ready. Uh, but before before I read anything, um, I have known uh, Aziza since they were a teenager. Yeah. And have had uh, the honor of seeing him grow into this powerful, um, not only writer, but just person with um, a beautiful compass inside of you. Like, I just, you know, there's some people that just always just know the right things, kind of. Not to not say that you make mistakes or anything (laughs) like that, but you just have this sense where I'm just like, well, whatever Caesar says, like, that's what we should all be doing. (laughs) And, um, And so it's been such an honor to, like, just see you bring your novel and I own your first your poetry book yeah. and and you're one of my favorite performers thank and you have blown my mind multiple times and I'm just I can't wait until I devour this book and then be like yo what the <laughs> f-? <laughs> you know so there's a couple of poems from me and um yeah man 
I was like, I'm going to read the room before I read something. And sometimes that doesn't work out for me because <laughs> then I'm not prepared. <laughs> the trick. Today, I am not a writer. I am my halted Spanish and insecurities. I am fingers that know letters, but not grammar. My only degree is my library card. I read someone else's works and work words and shrink. Turn into a speck of envy. Don't know how not to weigh my work against theirs. Can't stop feeling like I am a cheap magician's trick. If I move too quickly, I'll give myself away. You'll learn. I am only stacking these words together to pull myself out. I don't know how you got here. I wasn't trying to save you. All I've been doing is staying alive. Mm -hmm. Did I tell you about the time that I was dying? About my uterus that couldn't stop bleeding, the doctors blaming my fatness and me agreeing. Did I tell you about the times that I couldn't get dressed because I was more crime scene than anything about this bloody curse? The stains on couches, showers, underwear, bus seats, the black paste of my sex, my vulva, a wound that wouldn't heal. I almost lost myself ounce by ounce once. I ended up in an emergency room. The doctors couldn't understand how I let it go that long, how I didn't think anything was wrong. They found a growth hemorrhaging. I never saw it, but I imagined it looked like an urn, like the thing that holds my father's ashes, the last place I ever saw him. The doctors paraded in and out, reaching between my legs, dozen of men pulling my lips apart, shaking their heads. I've been here before, I thought. On my back, on a bed, a man disappointed. My mother called relatives, told them that I was sick, referred to my vagina as down there, the beast that can't be named, the sin that must be whispered, a red river down my legs, a soiled gown, a dirty secret. I stopped dying then. It took a while. First came the blood transfusion, and then the clamps climbed open my cervix. Me strapped to a bed, screaming in pain, thinking of women who endure this, and it isn't to keep them alive, but instead to make them a little bit more dead. How lucky I was, my body more forgiving than I, asking why I was so afraid of her. Why didn't I trust us? Hadn't we buried my father a year before and made it out intact? Hadn't we put down our fist and given up the bruises? Hadn't death asked us over and over again if we were sure we wanted to stay? And hadn't we said yes every time and didn't it try to take us anyway? Didn't we stay alive? Aren't we alive? My body said alive. Listen to me. Are you not alive? And I started renaming parts of myself calling them what they needed to be called. My sex, my pussy, my jewel, my sweet fruit, my loved orchid, my come here lover, come, celebrate that I am alive, that I once almost wasn't. Come, taste what staying is like. Thank you. Yes. And I chose, I had, I chose that poem because I feel that Survival is something that I've seen you do over and over, yeah. you know, and like just in surviving this world and also <laughs> like reinventing yourself. And then yeah. this book is almost like a reinvention of, yeah. like, well, we'll talk about more of that. No, but I yeah. think you're right. Like it's, and I think that's why it's also so emotional. It's, it's, um, can't help but be yeah. a, a bit of a reorganization. Mm -hmm. Yeah. More than a bit. <laughs> more than a bit. <laughs> more than a bit. Yeah. yeah.
So we're going to have you read from your book now. Yeah. So I'm really excited. Um, Has anyone other than not a cult (laughs) uh, read any passages or anything yet? Will this be that you did? You got an exclusive? (laughs) Yeah. But um, so we're all getting a special treat now. So, yeah, go ahead. Thank you. And thank you for blessing us with your words. It's very, it's an honor always. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here too. Yeah, man. So no better place in the beginning, I figure. Um, Sorry if that's basic, but y'all the ones that came here. So Um, (laughs) the blind pig. What had happened was a glitch. Ancestral nerve ridden to the point of madness. What had happened? A deer and an armadillo kick it on a Mississippi porch, rain coming down. Glitch. There's a you, an I, another name entirely, too. There's saint, not who you pray to, but whose offerings allow you to survive. Glitch. When you're you, you're in your dad's apartment growing up. His mother sings La Boheme on the fire escape, no escape for her. Glitch. A comedy store, 2 a.m. peaking. An afro glistens under club lights, sweat of the father and his father and plantation whole of them glitch sankofa i guess when i'm an eye tough bird to hit with any number of stones glitch english a language crippled with the lazy poetry of idioms and no feeling glitch no windows casino like it's a mental hospital you didn't lose your mind you became it infinitely worse glitch It was so hot there were dead roaches. I love you and then it got roaches. You had a lot of last name going on and I woke up bleeding through linens. A rack of ribs is the style I bleed out on linens with. A messy bitch when I feel ignored or like staying alive. Two tumblers of champagne and tits out if I want. I wake up with dirt, caked, lined as in caulking between skin and nail. I can't stay awake without breaking my heart. I break into houses, change my name for an interval, see how the other half tastes. The first time I felt a chill on my face in my months. The white man who lives in my head, not far from the white man who lives in a slave castle, would point from a balcony down to a black someone, and that day she would feel water on her body, smell like an ocean she couldn't see for his, for him, for a crippled arch and rushed to the end of the world. Took a swig of Jim Beam and a choir of yielded crops sprung out my chest, where the blonde hairs grow, a dark omen from the nothing black about me comment section. I lose weight in my feet and watch videos of white children shooting deer for the first time. There's no such thing as a fixed location. The deer cocks her head at the child step toward him, loosens the thrill of her name. I believe you love me until I'm sitting in a bar of fluorescent purple and I know you're thinking of someone you lived with before. I fuck you until you're somewhere she is a meter high. A man in Mississippi sees me when I'm walking in bed I'm just a ghost niggas and he's more sure of my body than I am. Smoke socket, liquor bound. I am my grandfather's cursed extension. I am nothing if not my colonizer's bastard come. I am nothing but, nothing but... I am warm and riddled with life. Occasionally a deer will walk into my front porch. Occasionally albino lizards crawl into my home and die. I know this is my dad begging. A skeleton isn't hard to wait for. You just have to clear your schedule. It's tax season and flu season and I don't say cotton. It's offensive and the men sometimes have hands so big my throat lengthens, choke me out and when I pick up air, someone will be left knocking the blonde field. The eye is unreliable has a birthright with an ugly clinical name, so let's skip it. You are intimidated by how much pain a body can hold. Your father sings you to sleep on the nights he doesn't play Ken Burns' Civil War tapes, the sounds of slaves bellowing Jacob's ladder, the recitation of Union and Confederate soldiers' letters home. 
Mosquito bites and ant colonies converge on your fingers under your bed. He's not a bad man. He's just a man, and that is sometimes hate enough. You tell him one day that he's not technically an African-American because his lineage doesn't go to slave ships, doesn't hail from Ghana and the great con of the millennia, the first slim door of no return. Your father yells at you, says he's as black as you are, and even in the diatribe that follows from him, you know you're right and he's less right. He's hidden his iteration of blackness, otherness in your mother, whose people come from Ohio by way of Virginia, by way of a boat from part of West Africa that remains unsayable because that fascist regime kept poor or no records. When he sings you to sleep, it's a song asking rhetorically, what do you dream? The ants underneath your bed are from the time you ate a Granny Smith apple at night and didn't want to leave your room to go to the kitchen in the dark just to throw it away. You wake up to a line of black legs and antennae making hill and canyon of you, of your sister. Later in life, around the time you claim your father is another kind of black, you recognize the presence of insects in your home as a call to the end of days, terrestrially and of your mind, a signal to a certain inheritance, a collection of names to address your brain now that every canal and neural pathway synapse has chemically gone awry. Your dad says it's come from your mother's side, the African-American side. He doesn't specify. That's the first section that I'm reading. Now we're going to do the next section. So in this book, I think it behooves me to say, it's um, following a character who is going in and out of their mind, so it shifts from the first person to the second person until they become a whole other thing entirely. So, so that's what that's about. Curve my fingers around the fat in a glass jar, come up with shine dewy and I am eight, asking what it is, the drops on a succulent at 7 a.m. It's dew, stupid. The fuck I know about water anyway, calling me stupid for. Los Angeles, and everyone pronounces it under the more white colonizer, Los Angeles, and I curb to the water that won't die. I do this. Rub into the rind on top of the bone this oil, and I see the scab from when I shouted from my bike to his small car, excuse me, sir, to a man, and he did nothing but drive forward more and more and unmoved. And of course my bike hit the curb, and of course I went flying and forgot how it felt, the flight, if I enacted it, and of course I didn't act it and the man black and in this town of whites who pray to a confederate so-and-so unnamed but buried well said I would have never forgiven myself if I really hurt you and I apologize to the man the black man for my being so in the way of him so easily a deer in headlights them fools lose their staring contest and genetic makeup evolve them into doing real well staring never run from the light but stare into it as if they could bend the light back like my hair pulled back and neck with it down and with the lights the car and with the lights the gas and with the lights the gas and with it the oil I do this now my breasts which piss me off for being there I am eight and my mama has a blue slip with this water this water crisis would convince poor blacks is water. Just wring it out and the drops will come. Call them do and me stupid when the shit won't dry into memory. Dry into something I can say ain't happen. Put this on. And the one instructing me as a girl is from up the street. Is older but not by much. But by enough that she has a 17 year old brother who is always in his room or throwing balls in the air and over my head like he can't see below certain bones. Put this on and I do this. Throw on a silk blue in a closet where there are nails jutting out from the wood. It's an old house but a good house. And there's an 
excuse for the tetanus, an excuse for the infection, and none for me. Who gets dressed to get undressed in a closet anyway? And her mama blue slip no less, lest you must be the one for burning, wearing the hottest way to incinerate, dumb bitch, dumb bitch. And what could I know about all that, laying on top of her, her saying, you're pretty, and my wife, come home, honey, or honey, I'm home, or come out, honey, I'm home, or honey, 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 you dumb bitch of honey, you honeycomb stupid, you dewy dumb bitch, say whatever you want, but I'm in your home, haha, I'm in your home, haha, and your mama don't know about me, haha, come out, honey, I'm home, and wearing your, and wearing a suit, haha, don't you know your name, honey, it's honey, 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 I'm home, put this on, and I'm in your home, and what, 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 dumb honey, stupid comb bitch, you're come, I'm out, and wife, welcome, hello, blue honey slip bitch, haha, you're do, do, don't honey a dumb bitch, and the bitch of it was, that was a good Tuesday after school, and I could be eight, but more likely I'm 23 when I do this, rub into a pimpled chest the oil, coconut which I'm told is good by those who are good by those who are in the morning because they know when to wake up, Jimmy is a name for a white boy and I am aware of white boys, Jimmy is a white boy who walks me home from school, Jimmy is a long nickname for James, James is the name of a white boy who is my grandfather, my grandfather moved into another apartment in the South Bronx when my grandma died and painted all the walls black, my grandfather is named James and never nicknamed into a longer name Jimmy and he drank a fifth of Jim Bean every day and sat in the black apartment he painted without my grandma who was black but not like the wall but like a rotting banana or a more just world Jimmy is a name for white boys and he walks me home Jimmy is a name for white boys you don't think about having desire even though they discuss sex sex is a honey bitch blue slip for me I am considering wearing flagpole distant but I am into my hips okay into a gleam from them so we ain't there yet state status country bound and oath Jimmy is a white boy who walks me home and says I'm pretty you're so pretty with your beard and all it was one of the first things I liked about you that you weren't afraid to show the hair on your chin that you just wore it out there I liked that about you and and that beard and I and I like that Jimmy sits on my porch Jimmy says it's cold can we go inside Jimmy walks in my bed and takes off his shoes and I know the smell of feet is a commitment and the room is different the room is a dewy bitch the room is a honey wife and why is Jimmy a white boy named my grandfather wouldn't give to himself if he laughed in a black room at my grandma's dead banana peel body in the dew of 7 a.m. and I'm eight and you're pretty and my wife and welcome home honey or honey I'm home or come out honey I'm home or honey 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 you dumb bitch of honey you honeycomb stupid you dewy dumb bitch say whatever you want but I'm in your home haha I'm in your home haha and your mama don't know about me haha come out honey I'm home and wearing a suit haha don't you know your name is honey it's honey 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 I'm home put this on I'm in your home and what 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 dumb honey stupid comb bitch you're home I'm out and wife welcome blue honey slip bitch haha your 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 do don't honey a dumb bitch but Jimmy a white boy who walks me home in Mississippi in the snatch of magnolias walking out of the air to greet my neck he isn't a bad man he isn't a bad man like I'm a bad man a bad one who flings sex like small rocks out of a sling into the air around my neck. Around my neck is the bullet hole in the Lyceum meant for James Meredith. Another James, not Jimmy. Another laughless government wrung out in dew. Jimmy kisses my cheek and my lips and the beak of my face. Jimmy crawls on top of me and begins to make a motion, to make a concession to pump dryly onto my pants. Jimmy notices I've stopped breathing, become lax as honey. Welcome home, honey. And calls me a bitch in so many words. The words, look, I'm going to be nice about all this. But that, that hurt me. That being my no. My no, out of my mouth, I swear, and still somehow smoke to him, inaudible. How can't he hear me? I'm still saying it. What if I'm not even here? What if I stop trying and I stop? 
The no out my mouth and never mind, I said, through my jaw was due and lax and only would appear in the morning. Never mind the thank God I didn't wait until morning with the Jimmy not James in my bed, wet and scrambling. This could work. Why won't you let it work? Why can't you enjoy me? A good thing. I'm a good man named Jimmy. You are a bitch I will be nice about. Welcome home, you honey. Let me fuck you. Let me fuck you. I said you were pretty and surely I'm eight and yo, we ain't been properly introduced. My name is the precious one. My dad picked it out in 76. It's in the Bible in Ezra. I'm a minor character and I do this. Rub into my body the villain to water. It slides off me. Not even the dew can ride my back. I stand in the rain and that's where I meet you. By now, the kneecaps are prize onions. The breasts are attractive in that dumpling manner. The stomach is simply greased and arrogant. The thighs, here we are at the hair. Oil natty in the hair. Insufferable, this ugly weight of brown catching dirt. And Jimmy didn't walk home after I asked him to leave. That's why I coat the thighs in oil. He came back, opened the door to my room and said, please don't be mad at me. I'd hate it if you were mad at me. And you're on the phone like I thought you would be. Mad at me. Please don't. Pretty honey wife, dumb suit, comb. <laughs> don't be mad. Slip. Don't be blue. Mad. Don't be hate me wife we should talk about all this I am dew and shine I am kind and dear stare I am the car bending into a blue slip of no more name can I have a ride home I give to you a ride home I give to you a consolation I don't touch you and you say nothing even though you told me you're being nice about all this who was I going to tell the oil on my body mm. thank you and this is the last little section, and, and then we'll talk and stuff. And, and thank you all for being here, truly. So this is the part of the book where the I, the first person, is just completely disintegrated. They don't can't keep it no more. So there's just two folks. And it's equally, possible, it's equally possible that this is the feeling most black femmes or women feel toward black men or mask folks, this insatiable connection, desperate need to be close, to protect, to guard them from the rest of the world, knowing the rest of the world is in the thick of hunting season, hunting exactly for them. When is it not war? Two, and so the characters' names are Two and Saint. It's good to say that. When is it not war? Too worried if it was a perpetual war, one that would take every generation of humanity and even after that to upend. Would two ever be able to ask of they self not to make space for men? If it's war, they need shelter. How can you deny shelter to a soldier? But the soldier in question never recognizes their war, the other side of the trench, the other fighting in uniform. But even this silent physical shift in Saint was less jarring than a few nights back around when two mi Two's mind began to turn, when that white dude climbed into their bed, shoes off, feet making chaos of the air, and climbed further, all up on Two, wanting, hungry. Two's body fell to a hush prehistoric, the chill through them akin to a cold front, all warmth lost from their world. The white man still intent on getting what they thought was theirs, writhing and kissing on them like the perpetual trauma response. Two in that moment began asking themselves the questions, did I ask? for this? Do I want this? My body is gone somehow. I don't want to be inside of it anymore. Is it me or is it him? What is the contagion? Will he leave if I just let him have me? Will he stay in my house all night whether I give myself up or not? Is this his house now? Was it ever my house? Where do I live? How can I say it? How can I ask him to leave? We were hanging out. Was I flirting? Was the flirting suggesting a physical response? What has this been all this time? Getting fast food dinners, texting, watching a movie here and there. Was it all leading up to this moment? If so, then 
in why can't I move? Why can't I breathe? Why do I feel like I'm being taken from me? How much farther am I going to let this go? Is it even up to me anymore? Is this like the power of attorney where someone sees I can't fend for myself so they take up that function on my behalf? If I say no now, will he hate me? Do I care if he hates me? Do I hate me? And that's how I got here. Is it like a vampire where if I invite him in my home, whatever happens to me is my fault? Did I want sex, but did I want it now with this person in this place at this time? Am I nothing? Maybe I've always been nothing and this is what happens to nothing. Nothing. This is nothing, right? This is a non-event. I'm sure this happens all the time. This isn't even a this. This is an event like brushing my teeth. It will all be over soon unless it won't. Unless it lasts all night and in the morning. When will he want to eat with me after? When is after? Get off of me. Get off of me. Get off. And he did. Confused. Staring at two. Embarrassed. Pink with lust and pink with anger. Two had replayed that night on repeat in their mind since it happened began developing a ritual to repurpose their body, make it feel again. And of course, the white man did hate them or decided to would make misery of their miserable choices and soon got as far away from two as a human could be. And fine, fine. Two decided it wasn't groundbreaking, men taking and non-men not knowing how to extricate themselves. It wasn't groundbreaking, wasn't interesting, wasn't new. So two decided it could be forgotten. But two's body couldn't forget. It would shake within itself. It would cramp and clot. Any motivation left the moment two required movement, any desire for who two actually wanted to touch and be touched by retired, vacating the system. Two was numb, and in this walking paralysis created a shift not unlike saints. Two's blonde hairs on their stomach harvested into a pelt of stark white, their moles, black and brown, become becoming freckles and everywhere, large as their ears. Their hands, hooves now. Their feet, hooves now. Their ears, outward and outward, small tents pitched on either side of their head. Their nose, a hue, black button and tender eyes already so brown they were black something two heard most days in elementary school around the time Kenny suggested two wanted to be a slave because they cried during the educational video about a slave girl that learned to write her name in the dirt with a stick it didn't take much for two to become a deer in their own bed they wondered if they practiced now on the porch with saint if saint would mind would freak out and bolt would notice at all because what if this is entirely in their head an armadillo and a deer shared a blunt on a porch littered with cigarette butts, beer cans, magnolias. In their states as animals, they could shake their histories as humans. The mental hospitals, the beaches in Ghana, the white men in their beds, the football coaches' callous directions, the 40 acres, their black, the ships it incepted from, their loneliness, a trait honed by humanity and reviled. As animals, they could be instinct and survival. The notion to thrive was eradicated. There was a sense of being, of sitting inside oneself and enjoying the residence. Two knew they couldn't maintain this form forever, that in another glitch they would return back into the bodies they were birthed as. But for as long as they could stand it, could they be these figments, these, cre these creatures two saw on a daily basis curling up and rolling across the highway, standing in headlights like a fool to their doom. Two already felt as though they had been headlights stared down and lost. Same had what most armadillos have, a defense mechanism that doesn't suit the 21st century world we reside in. When an armadillo is confronted by a predator, before they roll up and away, they leap approximately four feet into the air. Why? Who the fuck knows? But adapting to the current world has proved a farce, given that cars are about that high off the ground, leaving the armadillo to get hit with such accuracy that so many of them are dead before they have the chance to live. To be a black man and to be an armadillo, then, were not so different to be a black femme and a dear mutual experience. Mm, thank you. Well, <laughs> um, you know what I was thinking a lot was your, as you were reading, was your play with repetition? Yeah. 
and and um like tell me because I can assume what it is, but I'd rather hear it from you. Sure. Like when you use repetition, especially in a book that is about someone losing their sense of self, right? Yeah. Um or their mind or yeah. whatever it is that um like what was the repetition like what was the purpose of the tool for you every time you use it did it change as you used it throughout the book mm-hmm. yeah so for me repetition was um so like uh in the process of like losing your sense of reality as as it is mm-hmm. there's a term right rumination like mm-hmm. when when a person is ruminating and there was a period where like in my own life right i was there would be weeks where I would say like the five same five sentences over and over and like I couldn't get off a topic or like fixate and you say the same five to ten sentences over and over and it's Mm -hmm. like there's no there's no breaking it and so I wanted to explore that now that I have you know some control Mm -hmm. explore what that is literarily and explore like these characters who keep hitting the same event from all these different perspectives and it's all from them it's all but it's like when I'm an I experiencing it oh that's too close so that's too much that's too oh when I'm you when I have more distance uh, still too oh when I'm when I'm something else completely (laughs) and so I wanted that kind of replay effect because I think that's very much embodying that experience I think it was it's beautiful and I mean that's someone who has my like idea with anxiety and all that like yeah. re- uh, like repetition becomes a part of it right yeah. like fixation on certain things so as you were reading and like I was almost like falling into like a like I was hypnotized by what the the speaker yeah. was like going over and I could see ha- that unraveling happen but it was in I think that some of the most beautiful writers make in quote unquote insane things seem perfectly sane, perfectly yeah. tangible. And that moves into the next question of yeah. um, you know, the book has magical realism in it, right? And yeah. when you hear magical realism you think of uh, Gabriel Garcia, yeah. um, of Isabel Allende of like women with green hair and <laughs> like um mermaid features. And Absolutely. so you think that that's what that looks like, but you write it in such a way where it's just a fact. Thank you. Like, it's not a, you know, it's not a whimsical thing. And yeah. I think that people think of that, well, you know, realism comes afterwards. But even then, how it's, how we're used to seeing magical realism be used as a tool in writing is a, you're doing it in a very, like, um, different way where it's just a fact, where you're not asking my imagination to do anything out of, what the book has already like taken it to thank you you know and so what has your experience been with that and yeah yeah that's a great question yeah so I feel like the common notion of magical realism is like oh it's so sexy and oh it's it's so they're they're fairies flying out of the walls and whatever but for me it especially with given the context of it being so much about mental health is like what is it to see what isn't there and what is there, you know? Like, mm. who am I ultimately to say that it was or wasn't there? Mm. And, like, I love the kind of more, like, filmically, a lot of, like, filmmakers I love, I think, employ um, magical realism that is so, like, pedestrian, even. And yes. I've always been in love with that, like, just like, oh, you open a door and someone who's dead is just in the closet or something like that, yeah. you know? And it's And I do think that, like, there is so much power in just making it like, and this is just a fact of my life, you mm-hmm. know. I think the same sort of thing happens with grief where like, you know, someone passes away, a loved one passes away, but you see them 
places mm-hmm. or you see something that signifies them to you and that just becomes you know as much a part of your day as getting a cup of coffee right. you know it is that and and I wonder about that and like I do feel like especially in in what happens with this and like these characters transforming into animals like they're I think magical realism is rooted in a deep desire, right? Like mm-hmm. that it that's the real place where it comes from is like you want to see that dead relative of yours or like mm-hmm. you need to confront whatever person's in the closet. Like you know, you see the butterfly that turns into that turns into that turns into because there's something in you that needs right. to evolve, right? And so yeah, that's what it is for me very much is like I do think that these kind of fantastical things can feel so mundane. Mm-hmm. And and when they do, it's just part of the fabric of whatever your life is. Yeah, and especially, you know, as given your cultural background, like right, like all of us, right? We yeah. have, there's the story of like the, the stuff that is fairy tales that become part of like what your life is and sometimes you even lose track of what's in between yeah you know like um did you grow up with stories like that with your family of like oh yeah and the and one relative that saw the one thing and so then that's like a, a true thing you know sure. i mean my dad just i was just talking to my dad this week and he was like well you know your grandmother used to have prophetic dreams you know and there she, you go, she would dream things that would then come into existence I'm like no dad i didn't know that you've never told me that in my <laughs> life um, and he was like well you know your aunt had a prophetic dream last night and that's why i'm telling you this i'm like okay great that's in the zeitgeist cool you know it's like there's all that witchy shit and, mm-hmm. I, and i think like especially being people of color like in the nightmare too right like yeah. so so many like like, the fact that slavery is a thing that happened, that, like, mm-hmm. people were like, oh, yeah, let's go pick the people up and put them on a boat and take them somewhere else where they don't know the language and they're not evolved to the climate and we'll just, like, take their children from them mm-hmm. and never let them get married and they'll live in a shack with a dirt floor and, like, that's life now. Like, that's magical realism in the sense of, like, what in the fuck? Wow. You know, who invented that yeah. reality and now we're all going to act like it's normal right? and whatever, you know? And so I feel like, we also, we come from the joy of it, but we come from the wound of it. Right. Like the supreme wound of the fact that like there were people in our bloodlines that woke up one day and got snatched by people they never saw before mm. and then had to go live an entirely different life. It's like when you have a day that you're like, well, that turned out different than I thought. It's like, well, now the rest of my lineage is turning out <laughs> different than I thought. You yeah, know? it's just because you got caught too far from the village or you something. Know, and then, like yeah. what, what on earth? So I feel like rooted in us is like, all of and then like right the invention right like now I'm here in this insane situation so I'm gonna invent these songs I'm gonna invent these griots I'm gonna still invent this food I'm gonna like the more magic right the quilts the running the you know the stars like the stars now mean something like Mm. we have to make the beauty from when there was nothing yeah because I you know especially for the for the black community to have someone uproot you and then tell you that everything that existed before is just your imagination crazy right and then like now you're you have to worship their gods and their weird shit you know (laughs) because this man died and came back in three days that's perfectly normal but whatever like you were doing back in your country wasn't and so um it's really when you give it that culture like that historical memory yeah it becomes even more like Potent. And then you also, in the last passage that you read, because, you know, I'm obviously I'm going to hear that where you were talking about men and shit. Yeah. But, <laughs> or masculine folks and shit. But about the whole, like, that whole passage really, like, 
caught me because you're like, was I nothing? Is this nothing? Um, you know, like if, if I like the vampire thing, like if I invited this person in yeah. and this is happening now, was it my fault? Yeah. And um, I know it's so hard to write around that kind of trauma, yeah. but you did it in such a way that just felt I think what many of us, even if we haven't experienced the assault, yeah. we've had that moment, right? Like, if this goes left, was it my fault? Oh, yeah. And, um, like, as you were capturing that, and I know it's already towards the end and where to mm-hmm. stops, like, associating with themselves, right? Yeah. Um, how were you able to capture that and still keep your wits around around you because I think that that's <laughs> yeah. the hardest thing to do, right? This is an excellent question. Oh, my wits. Oh, I don't <laughs> know. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, you know, th- yay for therapy, You're right? Like, see that nigga every week, you know? Like, that. that's helped. Um, yeah, and, like, I think it honestly just felt like writing out kind of the ritual of that the ritual mm-hmm. of like, am I bugging? Essentially, is right. how I like categorize it. And it's like, yes, you, I mean, you are, but you're not wrong, you know. And there was something, um, not like a relief to say it, but there was something very calming about just like saying every single thought that could go through one's mind when they feel like someone is trying to take them from right. them, right? Yeah, and it's like. It doesn't, it doesn't get to be the boogeyman anymore. It's like, nah, brass tacks. Like, whose fault is this? Is fault anything to do mm-hmm. with it? Like, what is in the communication? Do, mm-hmm. do words fail everyone? Like, mm-hmm. what, it, what is it about this dynamic that leaves me powerless every time? Right. Right. And so then I think, like, I'm so interested in this book, especially in, like, the power in holding your eye and in mm-hmm. holding, like, nah, like, for real, like, things happen there is a there is an objective truth or whatever Mm. but then in flipping it like is there and is it is it okay if it's many perspectives like where where does your power live does it live in like this statement this me this I or can it live like variously can it live in all these different pockets are you still powerful if there's other perspectives and 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 can you get yourself back to yourself, I think is mm. the biggest question. And so writing that was like, I mean, an honest head fuck, you know, like, it is, yeah. and it still is, and, and reading it is, but like, there is something powerful in saying like, these are the questions I now have to ask myself because of this power imbalance. And that maybe is the objective truth, right? Yeah. And why should I have to ask this? You said, can you get yourself back to yourself, right? Yeah. And you um, grew up in L.A. and you left for a while, right? Yeah. You were out there in the world. <laughs> and then you moved back to L.A., but I feel like uh, from what I've experienced through our friendship that you've come back as a different person. Mm-hmm. And even also, like, you're not in your parents' home anymore. Like, now you're, like, a grown-ass person, right? <laughs> but um, has that, all of that affected, like, how has all of that fallen into, like, your own mental health in, in mm. the actual book itself? Because, yeah. you know, you had your personal things that you endured with, like, while you were gone and then also while you were here. Yeah. So what is that, what does your journey play in the journey of the characters in the book? Sure. I mean, like, I had been working on this book for, like, about three years, maybe more. And um, 
there was a point in time where like I had to like set it down and and you know get well like right. quite honestly you know it's that funny thing about I I have a pet peeve about sometimes when writers are like and the writing saved me and I'm like nah like that's cool and it's cool that you have that but right. like sometimes <laughs> there's other ways of being saved you know yeah. and and it and the writing wasn't gonna do it it just wasn't gonna mm-hmm. cut it um because it, it got to the point where it was like so much noise you know and then it's also like who you doing it for well people always think that writing is this noble thing right yeah that we're doing it in this heart higher thing I'm like no bitch I'm just trying to like get through like these five minutes yeah and sometimes that's not gonna happen yeah and that yeah. was the scary I think in all like in terms of my life as it runs a- according to this book right it's like it hit the point where it was like yeah there are th- I can't <laughs> I, I have nothing to say I can I can barely exist here you know, and I don't want to anymore. Like, quite frankly, I don't want to be here anymore. And it's hard because I do think that writing and creating is the only shit I'm into, you know? And so when that won't even pull you back, like, then what, what the fuck is good, you know? And so, like, it was very humbling to just be like, all right, I'm gonna go to this, you know, like, treatment facility. I'm gonna go Mm -hmm. sit the fuck down. I'm gonna just be with me and I think the difference is for so long I thought like well writing is me you know Mm -hmm. I write therefore I am and like you know I'm nothing without the shit I'm saying and saying it to many many people and and this Mm -hmm. time it was like who are you when you ain't doing shit who are you when you ain't your work um and I think that was like the biggest interrogation and then it opened up like I got well you know and it opened up that I could finish this book because I had Mm -hmm. like distance not only from like being ill you know with an inherited illness like bipolar is an inherited illness down the fucking line you know um yeah and and being able to say that out loud right now is like a wild humbling thing you know um but it's like kind of cool like it's just a fact um and not only having distance from like being able to say my diagnosis and being able to say Mm -hmm. like that it's inherited but also having distance from the person that needed so much external validation that needed Mm -hmm. so much likes and clicks and praise and needed Mm -hmm. like read my thing read my thing now read my thing everyone you know and like it's not bad to want that and it's totally dope to want to be validated and appreciated and celebrated but I think for me it was like if I don't have that then I'm nothing right and that's a problem right that's a scary it's a scary thing to go home and I'm also bipolar yeah and so the the manic the the manic moments of being very public and being in front of everybody and then mm-hmm. having to go back to your room it's by yourself and it's this thing it's this almost like there's this breathing thing in the room with you yeah where you're like oh fuck now I gotta deal with this and whatever this <laughs> is today yeah whatever yeah because yeah, it shows up yeah sometimes you could put it in your pocket other times <laughs> it's like a big beast following you everywhere yeah but um i think that that's beautiful but the exciting parts of the book right yeah not i mean it's the the matter is so important and so beautiful mm-hmm. but um i said that you played with like format a lot yeah and, and so like how how was that creative process for you were you like in there like <laughs> i'm doing some like <laughs> You know, when, you, when you're feeling yourself and you're like, this oh, is yeah. dope. Oh, for sure. I mean, like, <laughs> the fun part is, is it, like, once this was published, I started flipping through it at the crib. And, like, I was like, 
oh, I like this shit. You know, like, it's a nice feeling <laughs> yeah. where you're like, oh, I'm feeling my shit. But, um, you know, like, especially in terms of formatting, I always think about Douglas Kearney and, like, his books and his work. And, like, you know, I can't say that I'm, like, uh, working at the level that he's at because it's just, like, it's so much play and so much, like, Adobe formatting mm-hmm. that I don't want to deal, <laughs> deal with. Um, but, like, I, I also really love, like, you know, I'm a playwright and, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of the book is also, like, in dialogue and a lot of the dialogue is between a, the character you before you becomes two you know um mm. and and it's like this person interrogating the figments in their mind or the people around them like it, it's really kind of choose your own adventure if you want to yeah. believe that they're there or not there um and I really love working in script format because I feel like the pedestrian shit people say when they're not even thinking is some of the most beautiful, poetic, haunting mm. thing, you know, like people really be telling on themselves <laughs> when they talk to you oh. and it just, <laughs> things will fall out their mouth. And it's yeah. like, I heard that, you know, like we, I'm all right, like it's down now. Yeah. And, um, you know, I remember certain conversations and like, we'll riff on them when it's, um, like, I, I love how, uh, when I was little, I would always say like, you know, I'm just saying, and my dad would say, don't, don't say that. Uh, what? Don't say just saying. Like, you say that like it's not going to mean anything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, now that matters, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I love um, writing out just, like, people chopping it up with each other. Because yeah. it's just, even as you're writing, it feels so, like, huh, like a relief. Like, mm-hmm. I know I'm going to go on a journey, and I know I'm going to get somewhere. Um, so that's, and I also really wanted, like, the feeling of this in, in yeah. this book, you know? Um, but yeah, and, and I love just like, I love playing with the page and I love when things feel like little treasures or little like fortune mm-hmm. cookies and shit. So there's some pages that feel like that. And oh, that's, that's special. Yeah, it's, it feels special. And I, I really wanted to like, for this book that is so much about mental health and like finding self, losing self, all that, for it to feel kind of like a talisman, like that, you know, in, in going through like getting your mind right on the real you just feel so fucking ugly like you feel so grody like oh i'm not cute no more <laughs> like you know i'm i and i wanted for if people are going through it mm-hmm. it's like no here's a cute thing for you like it's shiny mm-hmm. you know like it's matte it's, it's like <laughs> catches the light you know what i'm no saying where in the room it's i just i think it's like it could be fresh right yeah. like for when you're feeling out of sorts to have like a little trinket you know Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are we on time? It's an excellent question. Yeah. Okay, and Sweet. then are we opening it up to this? Or are we calling it a wrap? I don't know. Do y'all have any questions? I have. I can ask a bunch of questions, but I would rather somebody else, if they had anything that they're going to go home with. No? Yes. There you go. Mm, yeah yeah sure um so I feel like for me it's like uh an an inciting trauma you know and it's like the first like very traumatic moment I can remember and the book goes into like molestation and all that stuff and like um yeah for me it felt it felt very much like the age of like oh I can't I'm kind of hip to what's good like I'm kind of hip to what people around me are doing and that it's not all family. It's not all 
joyful. It's not all good intended, you know, that there could be other motives, that there could be other narratives. Um, and I think, yeah, that's, that's mostly why that comes up a lot. Yeah, thanks for asking. Anyone else? Yes, over here. Thank you. Yeah, sure. I mean, I was reading a lot of Alexis Pauline Gums, uh, M Archive author. So she's freaking dope. And I think her book is in here or you can order it. But that's like such a, a thing worth re all of her shit is so worth reading. And um, like she'll write like these usually um, very thick paragraphs in just the voice of um, like an archivist at the end of the world, a black woman archivist at the end of the world. And like I was reading a lot of that. I was reading a lot of like Maggie Nelson, like the Argonauts, and um, rereading a lot of White Girls by Hilton Owls, right? And just kind of like, oh, and I read um, Plot by Claudia Rankin, and that was like a huge influence, especially in terms of formatting and like play. Um, and and I wanted the register to feel very much like kind of like a homegirl, you know, like I'm just out here. <laughs> um, but then I I like. I like when it, there are some parts of the book that play with elevated registers. And um, I think it, the registers differ because I'm interested in power. And like when I talk like this, do I have a certain leverage? When I talk like this, do I lose a certain leverage? Because I think in the world that happens and I, I notice a lot that like, well, if I talk like how I talk with my mom when I talk to like this person I work for, it might not go so high. You know, I might ha lose a certain currency. and. Um, I think especially when you're dealing with like a person who is agitated and not well, they talk a certain way in that repetitive way. And then it's like, oh, now you have to go over here. Like the distance gets bigger um, depending on how you speak. So I was interested in that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So to wrap up, I think of my books as my kids, right? Yeah. And so this is your baby, your yeah. new baby. What is your wish for your new child in Aww. the world? Like, what is, what is your wish for for them? This is an excellent question. Um, yeah, I I want I want uh, weird little black queerdos like myself to put this in their very large jacket pocket and uh, <laughs> read it in the park, and I want them to feel like. I could do whatever I want and I could fuck it up. And, mm. and I want them to just feel that, that um, stretch. That's beautiful. And that is such a good note to end on. Yeah, thank you so, so yes, much. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to read how you fuck it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, and um, Asisa has books in the store. So if you buy a copy of the book, I'm pretty sure they will be more than happy to sign it for you. Yeah, so, I can do that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks, y'all. Thank you, Nautical. And Skylight. Yes, thank you, Nautical and Skylight. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175.
Thanks for your support and enjoy.